hoping for the right to turn my tide. Keep lurching on the sidelines, searching for the guidelines, twitching on the byways, hitching on the highways of life. Discoverers of the neurotic vaccine. Welcome to session five. I'm clinical and forensic psychologist, Dr. Scott Kapoyan. While those other vaccines have been first and foremost in the minds of all of us, this podcast explores the healing power in trying times of virtual therapy. For the listeners and my patient, former Seinfeld writer and author Andy Cowan, as we aim to help him become immune to, or at least less influenced by, neurosis. You aim to help me? Is that your wiggle room in case you don't help me? In camp, I sucked at archery, but at least I was aiming at those bullseyes. Well, Andy, I not only aim to help you, I'm going to succeed in helping you. Trying times. What times aren't trying? Trying to pay bills, trying to ignore bills, trying to ignore OK Boomer cracks. Andy, obstacles equal opportunities. If I'm your obstacle... You, you missed the opportunity to be profound. Andy, sometimes the greatest lessons aren't necessarily the profound ones, but they are the wise ones. It's my hope for you that you will acquire the wisdom to move in that direction. Okay, boomers. You know, when we were kids, we didn't go, okay, the greatest generation. <laughs> Forget boomers. We should be called boomerangs. Toss us away. We always come back. Really liking what you just said. We always come back. Give me more, Andy. Give me more. Ah, tossing me a compliment. Don't expect that one back. It's not only a compliment, it's accurate feedback on your growth as a person. Well, I'm growing chronologically, that's for sure. I'm so age conscious lately. And when you reach a certain age, you're like a TV series past its prime. At this point, if you're canceled, People aren't going to be that upset. What one often has is one ages is wisdom. I think you're smart enough to not let others who haven't had as much life experience define who you are based on their caricatures of boomers. And look at the series that keep going. Meet the Press is a lot older than you are. Meet the Press? That's your example? You should host Meet the Press. <laughs> I'm, ta I'm talking scripted series. You know what the unspoken reason a series gets canceled is? What's that? The leads age. The audience has fallen out of love. They're not quite as smitten. Cancel culture aside, you're not about to be canceled, Andy. If you keep learning and open to new experiences, you'll still have plenty to draw from for your own continuing story. What a generically rosy piece of advice that is. I'm surprised you didn't tell me to become more animated. I could keep going forever like The Simpsons. Interesting. No outward signs of aging? Exactly. Kids still in the same school, you know, left behind one year in my school. Kids were dumb enough. 34 years? Maggie still sucking on that pacifier. <laughs> same insanely rich voices. I'm very auditory. I do notice those voices aging. A little less energy. Ah, how discriminating. You mean perceptive or ageist? What do you think? What a non-committal shrink response that is. <laughs> What's next? How does that make you feel? How would that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would be hell writing for that show. Homer gets herpes. Season 12 did it. Marge gets a yeast infection. Season 19 did it. You know what? I usually hate change. But in the case of The Simpsons, I hate no change. I mean, Carson left The Tonight Show after 30 years. Letterman left Late Night after 33. Yeah, probably a good benchmark. Aren't you being ageist? I'm being other richer people's ageist. <laughs> I'm not ready to leave the stage. I'm not better if used before 2005. My freshness date is still good. People can use me now. Stop that. Wow. Is that what they gave you the PhD in? <laughs> That's what's called directive therapy, Andy. Stop that. That caught you off guard, didn't it? I didn't realize the intricacies of psychology were so nuanced. <laughs> I'm all about nuance, Andy. <laughs> this is kind of a nuanced cartoon I once wrote where I got to vent about age. Smiling older guy with wings on a cloud telling God 
Being a ghost isn't such a big adjustment. Caption, why God makes you invisible after you turn 50. <laughs> wow. This kills me. When younger TV talking heads make some droll comment about how seasoned they are, you and I are both old enough to remember when Reagan was in the White House. How do they think that makes me feel? I'm old enough to remember when he hosted GE Theater. Congratulations, Andy. A healthy brain and synapses equals a healthy memory. Maybe that's why I'm so good at remembering personal slights. Yeah, that's common. Positive-negative asymmetry. Oh, there's your fancy education. Meaning? Rejection often stays in our mind more powerfully than praise. I don't remember Reagan rejecting me. <laughs> Here's how old I am. I remember when swiveling was important. Your TV swivels? If it swiveled, it was cutting edge. <laughs> you're old enough to remember Reagan swiveling. <laughs> like you're not? I don't think our TV swiveled. Oh, rough childhood. <laughs> this was a shocker. Online, I checked out the New York Times front page from the day I was born. I can't believe I'm still alive. The Dead Sea Scrolls look more contemporary. <laughs> I've been alive long enough to bear witness to major, historic, life-changing moments that are no longer part of the conversation. For instance, when the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination pops up, it's hardly mentioned anymore. Hmm. You know, if I ever had a kid, and that ship has not only long since sailed but sunk, I'd give him an embarrassing middle name. That sounds kind of hostile. No, no, that's not hostile. I mean, maybe he'd be too embarrassed to assassinate somebody. <laughs> Your kid would grow up to be an assassin? No, no, I would just be lessening the odds that that would happen. Too bad the Me Too movement wasn't around in 63. Lee Oswald might have thought, do I really want my middle name in the papers after that Harvey Weinstein guy? <laughs> So getting back to no longer being a part of the conversation, that bothers you? Yeah, well, if they're talking about me behind my back, I don't want to be part of the conversation. <laughs> but the ephemeral nature of all our lives, it's, it's pretty shocking. Hmm. Ephemeral, that's a, that's a pretty big word. I might have to, uh, I don't think that was in my PhD program. Stop that. It was the last of your uh, education. Yeah, basically, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, the, the education you received was pretty ephemeral. <laughs> <laughs> when you look that up, you'll realize that makes sense. <laughs> I guess that would be my homework for the session. But, you know, it, it strikes me as you're uh, recounting these historical events that you are really sounding like a repository of historical knowledge. And I'm wondering if you can't leverage that in your movement forward. All these phenomenal events that you have detailed knowledge of, thoughts about, it's exciting. Don't just say I have all that information, like you're some young kid. Well, we may not be young kids, but that doesn't mean we can't hang on to a little bit of that inner child, the parts that still celebrate life. During the shutdown, I kind of tried to conjure up my inner child. I watched old Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore show reruns for comfort. Okay. You know, to maybe feel as young as I was when they first aired. Well, it was a noble effort to uh, capture some of that magic with a timeless show like that. Till they get to the commercials. Hearing aids, catheters, burials, cremation. Yeah, thanks for killing that illusion. <laughs> you know what my final wishes are, Dr. K? Not dying. I can't really help you there, Andy, but I can <laughs> help you to adjust to the inevitability of dying. Meanwhile, my connection with the outside world is on life support. You look at those old shows, people popping into each other's homes all the time. We grew up thinking that was normal. People I know don't even feel like Zooming anymore. I'm lucky to talk to a person's voice on their voicemail. It's true. Technology can connect us more, but there's a growing isolation and disconnect that can accompany that. You know what's horrifying? Catching something you once watched that really hasn't aged well. Like Father Knows Best that's so moldy and antiquated, and to realize we're old enough to have actually once considered it entertainment and how lily white everybody was. Well, as Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow echoed when they visited us, it was a very different time back then. I've always said, people are like M&Ms. On the outside, they may be different colors, but on the inside, they're all the same, except some are nuts. <laughs> 
I always like that one. Andy, you have the energy of a young person, the verve, the excitement, the, uh, the inflection, the passion. There's nothing aging about that. That's timeless. Stop talking about your aging so much. You are a young person. Wow. A guy who uses the word verve telling me I'm a young person. The old-fashioned word coupled with the compliment cancels each other out, but okay. You're a bundle <laughs> of contradictions today, Andy. You give it to mental health and you take it away. Damn smartphones. Just in time to capture an aging boomer's decay in sharper detail than ever. We don't want sharper pictures. We want fuzzier pictures to make us think we're still sharp looking. Looking sharp. Did I just date myself with that terminology? If I told you that you look better now than you did 10 years ago, what would your thought be? Uh, your cataracts have started forming. <laughs> uh, I've been informed by my visual specialist that they have not even appeared. The old print version of Entertainment Weekly must have been out to get boomers who still read the print version. They kept making the font smaller and smaller, I guess to help weed them out. I needed my magnifying glass and Sherlock Holmes pipe <laughs> if I want to read all the panderings to more attractive age groups. At least you're making the effort to stay current. Post-Beatles? <laughs> you know, Ringo is 82? Beatles song titles have a whole new meaning now. I want to hold your hand for support. <laughs> if I fell, I'd break a hip. I'm so tired. Duh. I'm only sleeping. Oh, that's a relief. I thought you were... Again. See, I'm being ageist here. Good catch, Andy. <laughs> really showing some self-knowledge, some self-reflection, and maybe even a little insight. Well, I don't know how insightful this is, but uh, the only time people say, God bless you, after you sneeze or hit 90. When an old guy sneezes, it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> you may have just crossed over from insight to wisdom. You know what's depressing? Nobody will ever again be able to tell me I'm wise beyond my years. At this point, beyond my years, there's a guy with dementia. <laughs> hey, has anyone ever told you you're wise beyond your years? Yeah, I guess when I said nobody will ever again tell me I'm wise beyond my years, I meant nobody will ever for the first time tell me I'm wise beyond my years. <laughs> you know what I miss hearing? You have your whole life ahead of you. Remember? It was like a consolation prize. I know you're disappointed. You'll live. You got your whole life ahead of you. Whole life of disappointments to come. Cheer up. Now I got a quarter of my life ahead of me, if I'm lucky. The lousy quarter. And all those disappointments are behind you, and you, you can look forward to a more enlightening, exciting quarter. And I'm going to help you get there. You know, only in the movies is the last quarter an exciting quarter. If my life was a movie on the big screen... I would have probably walked out by now. Now, why would you say that? Hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. Boy, this flick's repetitive. Get to the dreams coming true part already. You've had dreams come true others only dream of. Hmm. Maybe you're too close to your own movie to be objective. Then again, you know, the global pandemic and new girlfriend, you know, I didn't see those plot twists coming. So Yeah, and you've reacted remarkably well to this incredibly unexpected change. And the positive part of developing a relationship with a girlfriend. Andy, one sign of mental health is the ability to hold two seemingly contradictory emotions at the same time, happiness and sadness. And I think today you've proven that. So we're making progress. You're right, because uh, I'm positive this has been a negative experience. <laughs> I love the passion, not necessarily the content. <laughs> You know, my education didn't prepare me for life. You know, instead of trig and all those other useless math courses, they should have taught us how the years add up, you know, how fast it all goes. You know, back then, we thought boomers would stay the center of the universe, not become a punchline. You're really sensitive to that. How to coexist with a culture that's moved on. I mean, I could have used that lesson a lot more than the square root of X. You know, Andy... Intelligence is also about knowing what you don't know. That takes years of experience to grasp and truly understand. Mm. As kids, we're concerned about what we don't know for the next test, as opposed to the big lessons of life, the big test. Yeah, schools should have taught schmoozology. I, I was never a good schmoozer. I'll bet they're a lot more successful 
marginally talented but effective schmoozers than there are successful, legitimately talented, ineffective schmoozers. Are you making a case for developing your schmoozing capacities in the next quarter of life? If I don't have to leave my apartment. (laughs) That might be textbook ineffective schmoozing. There should have been a textbook on suckology. Ah, I would have signed up for that class. You know, how to make things suck less. These are relevant courses, Dr. Kelly. They're, they're, they're extremely relevant. It's hope and problem solving and stuff to work on. One seventh of my life sucks because on Sundays, I still get back to schoolitis. Speaking of school, one seventh of the week is for subconsciously dreading the next day. I once wrote a story for Seinfeld where Kramer tried to avoid back to schoolitis, observing Kramer time. A six-day week, 28 hours a day, no Sundays. So if one-seventh of the week sucks, what happens the other six days? Well, Saturday's my favorite day of the week. But, you know, if I obsess too much on how I hate Sundays, then Saturdays I'll also hate because I'll be dreading Sunday because Sunday is when I dread Monday. This could become a dangerous spiraling into dreading half the week. Future catastrophizing reminds me of what we talked about with Kathy Geiswhite. Oh, yeah. We can't control future events, but we can control how we perceive them present day so they don't wind up controlling us. I kind of am like Bart and Lisa, you know? Back to schoolitis. I'll always feel like I'm in school. Every year it gets harder. I wonder what the hell I learned. Still want the in crowd to like me. At least bullies don't beat me up anymore. Yes. I beat myself up. Don't become your own bully, Andy. By the way, speaking of bullies, I watched The Godfather for the first time in years the other night. Brando looks young to me now. That was depressing. (laughs) And when Sonny Corleone, James Caan, was beating a guy to a pulp, for the first time in one of the greatest films of all time, I clearly spotted a fake punch. Never landed near the guy's face. Can't believe Coppola didn't cut around that. That sounds like a post-production note, Andy. I guess the editor made Coppola an offer he could refuse. I just get annoyed by these things now. You know what? The older I get, the more annoyed I get. I guess the challenge is to not become crotchety. I mean, I can understand get off my lawn is crotchety. I'm not there yet. But what about stop hocking loogies on the street like it's your personal toilet? Is that still pre-crotchety, Dr. K? Uh, It's on the spectrum. (laughs) On the spectrum. (laughs) Hey, one thing, though, I came up with to try to cling to my youth, I base age on the chill factor, or at least convince myself it's not bullshit, that if your age can still conjure up some connection with the cold, you're still relatively young. Explain. 20s, 30s, cold. 40s, still chilly. 50s, that can still be unseasonably cool. 60s, getting a little more challenging now. Uh, In the spring, That's still sweater weather. It's mild up here in Portland. And you call yourself a therapist? Well, thanks to your therapy, I'm 20 minutes older, but no wiser. I was wondering about your age focus in the therapy today, or what I would say is your age over focus, and was wondering why that is. I I mean, I just can't help but be more aware than ever of how precious time is, you know? I mean, I I don't have enough time left to wait on hold. Your call is very important to us. A representative will be with you shortly. Later, we know your time is valuable. Rest assured your call will be answered in the order in which it was received. Later, it's important for us to spend as much time with our customers as possible. Your call will be answered in just a few moments. Later, your amount of time on this planet is a finite one. We're working hard to ensure that whatever's left isn't spent waiting for the next representative. Later, we know you have better things to do than waiting on hold while putting your bladder on hold. Later, your call is very important to us. A representative will be with you. Wait, you said that already. I know that one's bullshit. I see you're still getting annoyed by the persistent, everyday normative indignities of everyday living. Boomers don't have time to wait. Screw the catheter and hearing aid commercials. Sell us boomer berries. Strawberries with those green parts of the top already carved off. Well, there's so many tremendous ideas in what you said, Andy. Save us time from carving off every 
green thingy. I'd look up what they're called, but I don't have the time. I'd like to incentivize you to use that to further your mental health and your growth and move from problem identification to problem solving. You know, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit is perfect for today's show because we have a special guest I have been dreaming about getting ever since we began this podcast. None other than Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary will be joining us. See, Andy, dreams really do come true. You mean the ones where everything's murky and I can't figure out what the hell's going on? Yeah, you're right. They come true all the time. You know what I want to do when Mr. Wonderful gets here? What's that? I want to enter the tank and pitch him opportunities to invest in me. You need to invest in yourself, Andy, whatever age you happen to be. Self-confidence and self-esteem are ageless. Well, here's a product that would give boomers a lot more self-esteem and confidence. There's got to be some money-making way to convince millennials and Gen Zers they need unsmooth necks. <laughs> uh, how are you going to do that? We need to teach them that smooth necks are boring. You know, if the folds on Disney Concert Hall are considered beautiful, why not necks? When you're a kid, you want to be a young adult. The fashionistas should condition young adults to want to be old adults. Make them feel uncool unless they're wearing multi-folded turkey neck add-ons. You know, a whole other level behind scarves. Not, not the kind uh, Nancy Pelosi hides behind. Okay. Beautiful silk old neck facsimiles that safely wrap around the boring smooth necks they have now. And then ads would diss boring smooth necks, and young adults would look forward to the day they can finally toss the artificial folds like a learner's permit or training wheels and show off their full-fledged, naturally beautiful, multi-layered necks. This is one of the most positive, exuberant statements you've ever made since I've known you. You're, you're reinventing the neck. This is an <laughs> argument for naturalism. Get rid of that phony nonsense. Be yourself. Andy, what's come over you? Oh, I guess it is an argument for naturalism, because I was going to refute that by saying no. Eliminate the naturalism that young people have in terms of their smooth necks. But you're right. It's all towards the goal of celebrating the naturalism of the eventual old neck. Phenomenal, Andy. It's genius. Am I wise beyond my years? If you were 20 years younger, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mentioned earlier about what I should have learned back in school. I am embarrassed about what a blur college is in retrospect. Not the socializing part, the classes. How well do you remember your classes? Uh, undergraduate, I remember a few, but mostly they were forgettable. Yeah, grad school I remember, but not college. Which is worse, not remembering a thing I learned in college because my memory's shot or because learning didn't happen to begin with? I don't think your memory was shot. I just don't think it was that important to you at that time, not important to me. We were really young, and did we really care that much about studying? I do remember one college class, this is true, where we drew nude models. Helped prepare me for all those nude model drawing jobs. You know, my parents spent all that money basically for me to learn how to live on my own. You know, these days, parents have been spending tons more for kids to move back into the house. like to see some of those etchings, Andy, and might say something about your mental health at that point in time, and I could compare it to now. Drawing nudes versus soon to be drawing Social Security. Two sources of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's one way to look at it, I guess. This shows you how lousy the education system has gotten. Have you seen the dumbed down Who Wants to Be a Millionaire 2.0 version with Jimmy Kimmel? I have not. With celebrities winning for their charities? I mean, it's great they're playing for a charity, but it's, it's tough to buy they're excited about winning 64 grand a week's pay. <laughs> you know how Jeff Bezos pronounces that show? Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> In five years, he could be a trillionaire. But even the super rich have problems, Andy. Yeah, even with his dough, he had to go out of this world to feel out of this world. <laughs> he risks his life to not be the richest man on the planet for 11 minutes. Anyway, so now... They've added other lifelines to make sure the celebs don't embarrass themselves too much. You know, the questions were multiple choice to begin with, so the odds are already one out of four they'll get it right. But now the celeb brings along a smart friend. He can ask for help. 
from all the way up to the 32 grand level. And they're still bone a friend, 50-50, plus another new one, Ask the Host, which they can switch with Ask the Smart Friend. Kimmel must be well-adjusted enough to not take that personally. Pretty soon, they'll need more lifelines. Text a friend. Text a genius. <laughs> Google the answer. Ask a genius to Google the answer. Well, the world's changed since Reach hosted it, Andy. We can remember the past, but we can't live there. Well, this much I have learned, Dr. K. I try not to live in the past, but I do try to learn from the past. Even though, as I've documented, when it actually was the past, I was busy not learning a damn thing. So right now, it's time once again for us to take a very special journey back into the past. Yes, let's do it. And make a prediction about the future that sounds sick, but one we know will become true. It's time for the sick but true future prediction from the past. Today, we're going back, Scott. 68 years. Are you ready? Yes. All right, if you call that ready. <laughs> now remember, in show three, time travel made you a little nauseous. But don't worry, barf bags were probably already around 68 years ago. They probably weren't as efficient then, so I'm packing my 21st century barf bags. Let's go back into the past. We're going. We're going. It's 1954, Scott. Look at all the pool skirts. Anxious young children forming lines to get shot to help erase the scourge of polio from the face of mankind. And now, the sick but true future prediction from the past. In 68 years, those same children forming lines on their foreheads will happily get shot to help erase wrinkles from the faces of mankind. <laughs> Now let's go back into the present. Oh my God, that was botoxicating. How you feel, Scott? Wow, I feel younger. Why, because people our age seemed older then than they do now? Even younger people seemed older then. That's right. Have you ever seen so many saddle shoes? Their eyes were saddling me with contempt, I think, for not conforming. If the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it, Andy. I'll tell you what doesn't fit. How come the women in commercials who use Botox to look young are already young? That should raise a few eyebrows, unless you have Botox and can't move your eyebrows. There's a term that I've read about, Andy, that has to do with the obsession about being young, and it's called attractivism. What if some celebrities hadn't had that obsession? You know what's interesting to conjure up? How people's careers would have been affected had they not gone under the knife? Like, where would Joan Rivers' career have been? I mean, she was the butt of a lot of jokes due to her plastic surgery. You see those old Comedy Central roasts, and that's what it was all about. Oh, they were severe, and she's sitting there with her plastic smile in more ways than one, taking it all. But where would she have been if she had aged gracefully? Would her career not have been as successful or been more successful? I think she was uh, addicted to plastic surgery. I think she would have been fine because she was an incredible talent. Do we really think it helped or made a difference? I mean, I think the perception is that it does. But with a talent like Jones, I would have still listened to her. I think a lot of people would have listened to her. Well, if we were just listening to her, we couldn't see if she had plastic <laughs> surgery. Well, before we visit with a guy everybody listens to, Shark Tanks, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. You know what I'd like to quickly do, Dr. K? Learn not to equate the blank expressions of L.A. women who had Botox with lack of interest in you? Maybe later. But right now, I'd like to attend the theater. That's what I tell my dates who like the theater till they get to know me and learn I'd rather stay home and watch TV. You can't pause a play to hit the loop. But with theaters revving up again, and in keeping with the general theme of age I alluded to in therapy, it's time for... Neurotica Theater. Scott, how are your acting chops? Brando-esque. <laughs> Dead? At the peak of his power. Oh, okay. Not only could you have been a contender, you are a contender. Is that what you're telling me? I'll give it my all, Andy. I was afraid of that. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the part of the 40-something executive, Scott Kapoyan. A 40-something executive just gave 60-something Edward, played by yours truly, the axe. I can't believe this. How can you let me go? It wasn't my decision. The economy. Don't do that. 
Don't blame this on the economy. That's too easy. I know all about the economy. I've been here twice as long as you have. Or maybe that's the problem. Edward, it's a business decision. I created the business that you took for granted by the time you waltzed in here with that fancy MBA of yours. We appreciate what you've done for the company. And this is how you show your appreciation? My sales are up. Okay, I've had a few bumpy months. Who hasn't? I'm seasoned enough to weather the storms. You need my experience. You'll get a month's severance. I paid my dues. You think everything's coming to you before you even get the bill. I think we're done here. Edward leaves in a huff. A younger 30-something executive arrives and asks the 40-something executive, Got a minute? Sure. We're going to have to let you go. What? It wasn't my decision. The economy. Don't do that. Don't blame this on the economy. I know all about the economy. I've been here twice as long as you have. Or maybe that's the problem. We appreciate what you've done for the company. And this is how you show your appreciation? You need my experience. I paid my dues. You think everything's coming to you before you even get the bill. Sounded better when the older geezer said it. 40-something exec storms out. A teenaged exec arrives and asks 30-something exec. Got a minute? We are thrilled to welcome the poster child for success, founder of the O'Leary Financial Group, O'Leary Funds, O'Leary Fine Wines, and the ABC star whose fine wine, you're dead to me, doesn't apply to the countless entrepreneurs he's invested in to help realize their own dreams. Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. Hey, how are you? Well, you know, after another week of pushing my own pebbles up the hill, Realized hopes, dashed hopes, rejections. Sorry, Dr. K, I get my real therapy from Shark Tank. Thank you. It is such a vicarious thrill every week watching hopefuls pitch to you guys. I think it's an amazing platform. Obviously, we're surprised at what happened. I mean, we thought in the first three years, nobody watched the show except a cat and a dog. That was it. (laughs) And then the economy changed. We went through a crisis and entrepreneurship started to look pretty appealing to people. And Shark Tank just exploded. And we never looked back. I mean, it's remarkable what's happened. All the jobs that the show's created, all the millionaires we've created, all the great products and services. We've sold billions of dollars with the products. It's just the most interesting gig you can have. You never know who's going to walk through those doors. Another thing I admire about you, you are an extremely careful conveyor of words. Every syllable out of you gets great mileage. Never a misfired neuron. (laughs) I like that. That's, that sounds efficient. I'd like to be that. When you were a kid, did you have a lemonade stand that crushed your little cockroach competitors? I made tens of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Did your mother advise you to invest those tens of dollars? Her thing was 20% of her paycheck. In those days, they pay them in cash weekly. And she started investing in her early 20s in uh, phone bonds because she thought people would not even turn off their heat before they cut off their phones. So she just bought the telco bonds. They used to yield 6% back then. And she bought S&P stocks that paid dividends. And then 50 years later, she was a very, very wealthy woman, incredibly wealthy. That's how I learned about compound growth in the markets. Scott, you had an investment question for Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. um, We've all heard about irrational exuberance. To that extent, can investing become neurotic? It's an interesting uh, debate because some people consider day trading investing. They just love the rush of almost gambling like day trading. That's not really investing because the strategy with investing is to stay long over the long period of time where the markets generally make you 6 to 8% a year. We've been doing that for over 100 years. Now, there's no guarantee that anyone time that it'll continue to do that, but it has so consistently for so long that that's investing. You put it aside, you put it in the S&P 500 or something, you forget about it. You wait 40 years, you made a lot of money. And that's kind of the strategy. I actually built an app for this, trying to get kids in their 20s to use it called Beanstalks, because there's 100 million Americans with nothing set aside for retirement. It's a huge national problem. You talk about a pandemic, 
we don't do any financial literacy in high school or college. So another thing I didn't learn there. <laughs> yeah. You know, people graduate with no idea what to do in terms of setting something aside. So Beanstalks does that for you. It's a robo advisor. Everybody should try it out. Just download it, check it out because it'll invest for you. It does the same thing my mother did. Take a hundred bucks aside a week and put it away. And if you do that over your career, you'll end up with about a million and a half in the bank and that's enough to retire off. You do seem like a guy who's figured everything out. In what ways might you, Kevin O'Leary, be neurotic? That's a good question. You know, I used to be neurotic about trying to control things I couldn't. And it put a lot of stress on me. I'm just being serious about it for a moment. But now, I think this is part of experience and wisdom, is I don't try and spend any time and don't spend any time worrying about things I can't control. That way, I get a lot more energy put into things I can control, and they become much more productive. So, you know, if something happens that was out of my control, I don't sweat bullets anymore. I say, yeah, what can I do? Nothing. I don't care. I'll pivot around it. Andy, you should learn from Mr. Wonderful. What? Don't worry about things you can't control, like age. How about you bringing up age? Can I control that? <laughs> pivot, Andy. Pivot. All right. I'll pivot to this. Researching the genesis of the show, when you first landed Canada's early version of what later became Shark Tank, Dragon's Den, and you asked about the money, how do you react when they first told you you'd be forking it out? I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I was working in London, England on a show called Project Earth for Discovery Channel. And uh, Mark Burnett called me up from Santa Monica and he wanted to have breakfast the next day at Shutters, which is a restaurant on the beach. It's very famous for lunch and breakfast. Yeah, I live right near there. Yeah. So it, he said, I got some tickets waiting at the airport for you. Why don't you just fly over for a day? I said, I'm in the middle of shooting a show, Mark. I'm not going to fly from London to LA. He said, why not? I got great tickets for you. You just sit there, sleep for a while, we'll have breakfast, you fly back. I thought it was so crazy I did it. And so when I got there, he said to me, look, we're looking for a real asshole on this show <laughs> called Shark Tank. And we need, the, we need the asshole. And you're the best asshole I know for this. <laughs> you have to be an investor. And the next day, we did a, a trial in the morning before I flew back to London. We did sort of a pilot shoot. And I met Barbara there and Damon. Lori was supposed to be on there, but she in the last minute left and she came back two years later. Huh. There was another guy, Kevin Harrington. Anyways, oh, yeah, an early shark. Yeah. The Pete Best of your fab five. <laughs> exactly. And, and we, uh, we shot this pilot, and the show got picked up, and we never looked back. That was 13 years ago. Now, Kevin, they played up the assholeism early on. Well, but... excuse me, that's, that's Mr. Asshole to you. Thank you. <laughs> but as the show's evolved, we've seen your heart, your eyes glisten at a contestant's backstory as the heartfelt music kicks in. Was that a concerted effort or did that just naturally evolve? You get engrossed in the backstories and sometimes they're really brutal. I mean, Cutboard Pro was just, that was the family, the 9-11 fireman who died right after his wife died. It was just brutal. Oh, I remember that. And he had recorded a video as sort of a test to try and get on Shark Tank two years earlier. And then the daughter came on and said, look, this is my dad's video. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. How could you possibly not break down with that? Oh, sure. Have all those years on Shark Tank made you a smarter investor? Well, here's the other thing I've learned, because I have all the data now. I've been doing this for so long. Let's say you do, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 deals a year. And you're pretty sure when you're doing them, which ones you think are the higher probabilities of winning and others maybe not, but you take a flyer or the structure is something you like or the product is something you've never done before and you want to try it. There's always a reason that you do that deal. You look at the portfolio at the end of the year and you say, wow, you know, I got 11 or 15 great deals here. I think, I think this one's going to be a big hit. That's never the case. Huh. That never works out that way. Never. What happens is it's the crappy deal you thought was junk that you just did a flyer on that ends up being a hundred time winner on your money. You know, it's sort of a really crazy thing. So the only way to play this game is to have a big portfolio of companies. Because at any one day now, I've got about 36 of them that are active. You've got the euphoria of something great happening with one entrepreneur, and then there's catastrophe on the phone a minute later with something else. It's like a human drama, passion play, playing out every day. And you just have to ride with the volatility. And then and every once in a while, you get something like a plated where- Meal kit ingredient subscription service. I invested in that, and we sold it for $340 million. It wow. paid for a lot of mistakes I've made on Shark Tank, that's for sure. Is emotion a factor when you make an investment? And to what extent is reason a factor? Or are they both equal factors? 
Well, I don't like to let emotions uh, guide my decision on pulling the trigger with capital. That's always a bad weakness because that's not the way you should invest. On the other hand, Barbara does that all the time. And the outcomes are more or less the same because of diversity. I mean, she makes emotional decisions, irrational valuations, crazy stuff, but she's had pretty good outcomes. And so and I can say that for every shark. When you invest in enough stuff, you're going to have a couple of big winners and they pay for all the mistakes. The other sharks seem to be learning from you on the royalty front. Where I get a little, I like to wet my beak on every dollar of sales. And over the years, I've noticed all the sharks are copying me now because they've realized there's a difference between return of capital and return on capital. The first thing you have to do is get it back. And that's not that easy in a startup company. How easy will it be after COVID maintaining a safe distance from your sparring partner, Barbara? Well, you know, Barbara and I are very good friends. In fact, the only reason she gets to the Shark Tank on time each year is I buy her a new broom. <laughs> you mentioned that a lot on the show. She must have a lot of brooms. <laughs> what about Mark Cuban, the richest shark? Are you guys simpatico? Well, you know, Mark and I do a bunch of deals together, but we don't agree on anything. That's for sure. Structure and all kinds of stuff. And it's been that way since day one. Of course, I respect them. We've all been successful. I've done deals with all the sharks, but the one I like to work with the most, and I think is the most interesting, is Mr. Wonderful. He's <laughs> Could you please explain to me why Mark Cuban in season three invested in a guy who drew pencil sketches of cats for people? Yeah, I remember that. Draw a cat for me. I thought that was the stupidest idea I've ever me seen. Too. But what I didn't know at that time, which now I respect, is the power of millions of people watching you on Shark Tank. So what happens, they see the product that you think it's insane, but 7 million people see it the night it airs, and you sell millions of dollars of it just because it's like the most beautiful infomercial money you can buy, and it's eight minutes of primetime television. And so after I saw that deal go viral the next year, I said, well, that's ridiculous. Then the year after that, I saw one called Potato Parcel, where a guy ships a potato remember. with your face on it. <laughs> I remember. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So I, invest so I invested in that, and it's made me a fortune. I mean, you know, it exploded on Shark Tank. There's all these clubs on Facebook now. You send the potato. Some people put them with little toothpicks in them into water. And then roots grow, and then they grow right through your face. It's like a zombie movie playing out. Spud of the dead. <laughs> and, and they pay you $29 for that. That's the part I like the best. I love the show so much that I save it and savor it for Saturday, my favorite night of the week. And I take my special dessert that I created, and you can go in on this with me if you're interested, Kevin. I take three squares of very healthy dark chocolate, nuke it in the microwave for 75 seconds, on a paper plate, drizzle it over Neapolitan, non-sugar, low-fat, yet tasty ice cream, and it hardens into this. I don't know why I created this, but I've been doing it for eight years, and I grab that, and I go to the TV, and I fast-forward through those opening spoilers, and I get right to that entrance into the tank, and I feel more content than Dr. K has ever made me in any therapy session. <laughs> Well, you know, good dark chocolate will do that. There's no question. I also like to crunch on a piece myself. But I also watch Shark Tank. I do it on Saturday mornings on my elliptical. Oh. Even though I was there, I'm always interested to see how the editors, some of these deals go forever. They're in the tank for like an hour and 20 minutes. When you see it, it's seven minutes long. And I always remember the product on every deal. I remember every product I've seen on Shark Tank. Why didn't I remember to ask him if he remembered puppy cake? The birthday cake for dogs. Let it go, Andy. Would have been the perfect opportunity to tell him how I tracked down the entrepreneur after the show aired to tell her how she could have neutralized Kevin's argument that once a year birthday cake for dogs wouldn't generate enough sales. Stop reliving the past, Andy. It's over. Throw in a dog year calendar. Every seven and a half weeks, the dog is another year older in dog years. That's seven times the sales. Let it go. He could have said, why didn't I think of that? Kevin himself said he's learned to let things go. All right. If it really wasn't edited and it was in real time, you would think, oh, gee, we've rejected two pitches. It's time to accept one. But that isn't the way it works, right? You guys wear the same clothes and they juggle it all together, and then the producers pick and choose what would balance the show properly in terms of rejections and acceptances, no? Exactly. That's how it works. It's like putting it into a blender. 
because you're all wearing the same clothes. I mean, I have a little tell. What I do is I wear a different watch each day. I remember what watch it was so I can tell which day of the season I was actually sitting there. I'm a huge watch collector. Same thing with pens. I always have a different pen with me. So I know, but nobody notices, but I do. And I have a little log of, okay, that was day three of the June pot or whatever. Oh, interesting. I've got, you know, 25 of these suits, 25 of these ties, 25 of these shirts. This is my Shark Tank outfit. It's the only uniform I wear. It's very convenient to do that. Scott, you have one more investment question for Mr. Wonderful? Yeah, Mr. Wonderful, when you've reached your level of wealth, however much we know you love money, is still more wealth something you covet? You know, it's, it's a great question because I always remember the whole journey is never about the greed of money because what I've learned is people that get into entrepreneurship and run businesses that are in it for the greed of money never get any money. It doesn't work. You have to be impassioned about it. Many, many people that come through the system like I did, they never noticed that they were wealthy until one day somebody bought their business and then boom, you say, where'd that all come from? I mean, it just, it just happens that way. I don't need more money. I enjoy doing what I do. And, you know, I have a pretty fair program of philanthropy that I give to various causes with my wife. But I like to be in the game. Well, aside from money being music to your ears, you're also Mr. Wonderful on the guitar. I've got a huge guitar collection. I used to be a shareholder of Fender Guitars. I've got one of a kinds of everything. Just bought this new Gibson acoustic. The thing about acoustic guitars, you have to play a hundred of them till you find the one for you. Wow, that sound that Harrison laid down on My Sweet Lord, that big, rich tone. Wow. I'm taking that into the studio next week to record with it. Have you ever recorded Money, That's What I Want? (laughs) (laughs) We actually considered that for Shark Tank's intro music. It was so expensive to buy the rights that he came up with something else. Some of those licks are just different enough for music that would have probably been even more expensive to license. Bum, 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 bum. When you first caught Jaws as a young man, Did you root for the shark? (laughs) No, I wanted them to blow the shark up, and I'm glad they blew it up. If you look at that movie today, I I showed it to my kids this summer. I said, let's watch the first of the granddaddy of all of these tentpole movies. And you look at the shark, it looks like it's made out of a Meccano set. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they wound up making it work by showing less of the shark and leaving more to the imagination. Yeah, I, I think Spielberg did a masterful job with that, just the tip of the shark without actually seeing the whole thing. I listened to a speech he gave about making it. If you watch it again, you're going to see the ocean is never the same temperament. Oh, right. Sometimes it's little waves, sometimes it's big waves, sometimes it's flat, all in the same 30-second shot. And yet the movie's still spectacular. I mean, it really is great. Uh, which is less tranquil, the ocean or the choppy waters of television? Television is a really chaotic, volatile career, and it's extremely rare to get a show like Shark Tank that goes past seven years. So many people are trying to knock it off over the years, over and over again with different formats. It never works for them. But Shark Tank has this basic visceral connection with people's desire to live out the American dream. The lightning doesn't strike very often, but you do see it strike on Shark Tank every once in a while where some crazy idea makes that family free forever. And we're very proud to be there to invest and help them do it. It's a show that's going to last forever because the American ingenuity and entrepreneurship and the ideas they bring forward never end. And every time that door opens, I say, why didn't I think of that? Okay. I have a few ideas. And since there are normally five sharks on Shark Tank and just one of you with us today, if you'll indulge me, I want to enter the tank right now and pitch five separate pitches to you. I admit, these are pre-revenue. Please be gentle with me. You won't be ruining your tough guy image because we don't have the audience Shark Tank has. No one will even notice. (laughs) Okay, and one other thing, I follow your business credo. Don't think you're the best at everything. I'm always beating myself up. I'm neurotic, so I'll be a great partner. And I know you'd rather invest in people with multiple failures. You've said the sting of failure brings needed fear into the business equation. So I'm perfect. So here we go. First of all, you listeners, I'm now in the virtual shark tank with Mr. Wonderful, courtesy of the imported Zoom backdrop image. And finally, some generic enter the tank music we can't be sued for. Here we go. First into the tank is a way to feel young again. Hi, Shark. I'm Andy from Santa Monica, California, and I'm seeking whatever the hell you want to give me in exchange for however much you want of my business, as long as you leave me a little piece to eke out a living for my company. 
best years of your life, the sequel. As Thomas Wolfe famously said, you can't go home again. When you return to visit your college alma mater decades after you graduate, it's never the same. In fact, it can be damn depressing. But what if you could access our Best Years of Your Life Part 2 app? Perfect for a software pioneer like you, Mr. Wonderful, and order a small, medium, or large group of our young college-aged illusionists to dress up in whatever era clothing and hair matches the era of the visiting alumnus. Easy and cheap hires, students who attend the campus already. Turn them into hippies, polyester disco era, whatever your time in college was. Not a cell phone in sight. And they'd be trained to use your old catchphrases. Relate to the issues of your day and actually look at you as if you're still cute and hot. You feel young again, and to make sure nothing destroys that illusion, they'd remove all nearby mirrors other than disco ball mirrors. So, shark, let's shake, shake, shake the cobwebs off millions of aging alumni and money out of their pockets. Well, wouldn't it be cheaper to simply go to Oregon or Washington, D.C., where psilocybin is now legal and just take some? By the way, this is also for high school reunions, too. I mean, look, at the end of the day, experiential deals are great, but I think it's very hard to emulate what it was really like when you're in high school, when you're 40 years old. It's a little late. Dr. K, he must have thought I looked as young as you said I did. I don't think he was referring to you, Andy. He was talking figuratively. And you call yourself a therapist? Tom Wolf was right. You can't go home. This idea sucks. <laughs> was that what you like to call a nothing burger? Yeah, I'd say so. I think that's definitely not your best. Let's see something else. Your face on a carton of veggie burgers. Nothing burger. Nothing in the way of meat. I'll take 2%. I can't stop pitching you, Kevin. Does this happen to you in public restrooms? People are always approaching you with pitches. Yeah, I get a lot of pitches. I get a lot of pitches. And you know what's funny? Every once in a while, not often, but every once in a while, I hear something interesting and, you know, next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. Okay, it's still early yet. First of all, I'm going to go uh, shoot this in the barn like you suggest. So hold for... Uh, pre-recorded gunshot in barn effect. There we go. <laughs> okay, let's see. Let me go back to, oh, I'm juggling so many things here. Oh my God, here we go. Next into the tank is a money-saving way to avoid embarrassment. Hi, Shark. I'm Andy Cowan from Santa Monica, California, and my company is called Presto Changeo. I'm all for tipping, especially low-wage earners, but tip jars are everywhere now. Starbucks. Bagel shops, moils, <laughs> little joke there. In this economy, when it comes to giving customers watching their own pennies a break, there's gotta be a better way. Presto Changeo, a tiny device featuring two buttons you'd hide in the palm of your hand. And as you center your clutched palm over that tip jar, hit button one for the digital sound of lousy service. Or number two for good service, but not good enough to drop actual change. Yes, they may call you cheap for not leaving paper money, but it's better than thinking you left nothing. So, Shark, let's leave nothing to chance and go fake change the world. Wow, you're a scumbag. There's no question about it. It is so cheap. That is absolutely so cheap. Ah. I wanted him to like me. If a renowned asshole can like me, his word, not mine, anyone can like me. Like that Seinfeld episode where George needed Jerry's girlfriend to like George just because she hated George? Mr. Wonderful doesn't hate you. He called me a scumbag. He wasn't character. Like on Shark Tank? Yes. I've never heard him call anybody on the show a scumbag. Watching Shark Tank will never be the same. I used to fantasize I was in that tank and Mr. Wonderful was offering me a deal. You're reliving the Mr. Wonderful interview more than any others we've done. Let it go. After calling me a scumbag, how do I keep that fantasy alive? Let it, Let go. it go. We'd be helping all those low-wage earners who spend their hard-earned money at Starbucks and make the bosses more likely to give their low-wage earners a bump in pay to compensate for fake tips? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly bad idea, but I give you merit for presentation, but not much. All right. Hold for... 
Next up is a high-tech way to feel good about getting dumped. Hi, Shark. I'm Andy from... Well, you know who I am. And my company is called Trading Up. How many of us are tired of getting Dear John or Joan by our ex-lover and wishing there was a way to make them feel worse than we do? Well, thanks to Trading Up, the cuter new lover app, now there is. Just let it copy a recent JPEG of you with your ex, and its proprietary app algorithm transforms the ex into a cuter version. More symmetrical face, slightly bigger eyes, better hair, body, and you into a still recognizable but more glowingly happy and healthy version of you, which you can send to that less attractive ex with the message, the new love of my life. Thank God you dumped me. So, Shark, <laughs> let's capitalize on those broken hearts and create new heartaches for the bastards who broke them. Interesting. Oh my God, he likes it, he likes it. I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. 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 I like it. F you money come my way. F you money's here to stay. Charge you and hire me. F you, F you, F you. Women wouldn't take a flyer on me. F you, F you, F you. I mean, you know, it's fun. It's it's kind of, uh, you see what happens with a lot of these apps, they go viral because they're so crazy. And that fits into the crazy app category for sure. No question about it. Great. I'm crazy. Let's get crazy rich. I think it's a bit of a flash in the pan sort of thing, but it could be interesting. And just that maybe people would have fun with it. Come on. Bite the bullet, Kevin. Bite the bullet. But I mean, you know, it, it's tough when you get when somebody dumps you. There's always the emotional downside. But you have to remember, there's so many new fish in the sea, and this app would remind you of that. Maybe you should call it "New Fish in the Sea." Trading up was the perfect title, Doctor K. Succinct, accurately describes the app's function. Did I have the guts to tell him? Plenty of fish is the name of a dating site that's been around forever? Reliving isn't living. I kissed up to him. New fish in the sea. I like that. Take, take any cut you want, Mr. Wonderful. I don't need F you money. I'll take F me money. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely put a royalty on it. I'd take all the revenue for sure. Wait, you mean I wouldn't get anything? Exactly. Look, you came up with an idea. Maybe you can get another one. I'll let you get something on the second idea. This was my third idea. I know my numbers, Mr. Wonderful. It's your entry-level idea. <laughs> Next into the tank is a modern way to feel less isolated. Hi, Shark. It's me. And my company is called Coming Soon to a Living Room Near You. We all know how the pandemic robbed us of that magical communal experience of going to the movies. With streaming on the rise, many fear it may never be the same again. But now, you can enjoy the isolation you've become addicted to and the outside world. To any movie you stream, the Coming Soon app adds pre-recorded actual movie theater crowd response tracks. Genuine laughs for comedies, oohs for action films, squeals for slasher flicks, heckles for Medea movies, coughs, <laughs> popcorn chewing, a few stop textings, sounds of people slipping each other tongue, and the deluxe version kicks the back of your sofa. So, Shark, let's you and I put the kibosh on movie going and make movie staying lead to this attraction coming soon to a piggy bank near you. Oh, my goodness. You know, don't quit your day job. That's all I can say. Jeez. I think I'm starting to get a complex. Don't give another person's rejection that kind of power, Andy. Remember that advice, because I'm going to reject it. <laughs> okay, forget the bells and whistles. Forget the shtick. This is completely legitimate. I saved the best for last, Mr. Wonderful. Sir Alexander Fleming accidentally discovered penicillin from the mold in a contaminated Petri dish. Well, I, too, have accidentally discovered something that could change the world, and this screams licensing deal. You listeners obviously can't see what I just popped in as my Zoom backdrop for Mr. Wonderful to see, a picture of my 55-inch flat-screen TV image reflection onto the heat-strengthened glass window of my microwave oven in the kitchen across from the living room where the TV is. And Mr. Wonderful, you obviously need to experience this in person with your naked eyes. But I've verified it with my eyes, my girlfriend with hers. The microwave window turns the TV image into 
accurate depth of field 3D. Everywhere you look on the TV screen, talking heads, Chiron, news, sports, comedies, dramas, goodbye to 3D glasses. Yes, it's a reverse image, but with your network of techies, whether a non-darkened version of the microwave glass can be layered over a TV screen, or if the 3D only occurs by the TV image reflecting off the microwave glass, in which case they could easily figure out how to reverse the reverse image, let's license the end result to the Samsungs out there. You can have 66%. Never. Really bad. Terrible. Way oh, really? too... Why? Why? Because it just has no merit. I mean, it sucks. You it yourself sucks. said the deals you thought were crap turned out to be the biggest money makers. Who wouldn't buy an all-inclusive 3D TV? A Cyclops? <laughs> Look, when an idea is really bad, it should be immediately taken behind the barn and shot. And this one deserves that because you're just letting it suffer. It's cruel and unusual punishment. Please put this out of its misery. <laughs> one more. Millennial turkey necks. Please, please don't give up your day job, please. Well, I really think the shark missed out today. He'll be sorry. No, he won't. He won't even know I exist. I'm gonna keep going. Keep getting rejected. Keep going. Keep getting rejected. Keep going. Keep getting rejected. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us and give us a follow on Twitter at Andy G. Cowan. Well, we want to thank Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, our supporters at the Benstown McVeigh Media Podcast Network, Mike McVeigh, Chachi, Kevin Horton, Susan Aksu, and of course, you, our listeners. For the type of therapy money can't buy. You didn't pay for my therapy either. Presto Changeo. Here's a tip. <laughs> Come visit Andy Cowan, that's C-O-W-A-N dot net for a way to reach out and get my big book, Banging My Head Against the Wall, A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars, forward by Jay Leno, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Black Rose Writing, and at the National Comedy Center in Lucille Ball's hometown, Jamestown, New York. Hitching on the Highway of Life, opening theme by yours truly, instrumental performance by Marty Rifkin, the full tune also available on Amazon, musical stingers by Steve Crumb, Lazy Day closing theme by the Bob Mincer Big Band. For your mental wellness, you can reach me at drscottk at psysolutions.net. Until next session, I'm Andy Cowan. And I'm Dr. Scott Kapoyan. For now, I see our time is up.